0: Thank you, God, that you're going to rebuke the devourer. Things that have been set will be diminished. They'll be gone, Father. I thank you for promotions, Lord. I thank you for raises, God, that you want to bless us so that we can be a blessing, God. So we bring our tithe and offering into this place this morning. We ask you that this seed be blessed. And everybody said, Amen. The buckets are on the end row if you'll pass those in. Amen. 11 a.m. How are everybody good? Hey, uh, before we kick off today, uh, a couple things. I'm going to ask my brother Zion, Zion, my brother Casey, that's my son Zion, my brother Casey to come up here. uh, And I forgot to announce this at the 9 a.m., so I'm going to do it while I'm thinking about it. Who are you looking for? Uh, The microphone right there, right there. Is your wife here?
1: She is
0: not. Canly's sick. Canly's sick. Because uh, I want to let them know there's a better side of what they'd be looking there at. Is. Um, uh, this is what you got. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I forgot to announce that next Sunday, uh, Casey will be bringing a message. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, in a different flair. I think there's going to be some rapping, some singing. Uh, some... And there's no telling. There's no telling. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. Uh, what's up?
1: Uh, 11 a.m.
0: Cool. Is that right? That's um, good. <laughs> uh,
1: we are, me and Tiffany are starting a discipleship program for 18 to 30-year-olds, uh, or right out of high school to 30-year-olds. We've seen that there was a need for people getting right out of high school, that there was really not a place for them to feel fit in. They're not married. They're not an adult yet. So there's really that gap where there's nothing for them. So we're starting a thing, and it's called Equipped. And we drew that from um, Timothy. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, we put that cut off at 30. Now, a lot of scholars think Timothy was about 30 when he preached at Ephesus. So, we got that cut off right there because he was preaching to a church of about 200,000 people at 30. So about 18 to 30 is the cutoff right there because we just want to speak to that gap we have. And it's a discipleship program, so we're not taking the place of the, the bridge or anything like that. We just want to speak into those, I don't know, you might have kids that are still in the house that, or whatever. You might be in college. You might be, so I'm, I'm 39 and I just started college, so there's there's that. So we're just looking to speak to that gap right there. So There's so, a, sign up, a, there's a sign up and a table in the back. Um, I think so. You put it there? All right, cool. All right, cool. Well, good deal. Thank you all.
0: Thank you. Hey, uh, one more thing. Listen, if you serve in any capacity, whether it's ushers, greeters, uh, WB Kids, nursery, security, prayer team, sound lights, media, Anything else I'm thinking of, cleanup or setup crew or whatever, stand stand with me across this room. Come on, if you serve. I want to say, or Project 836. See, I didn't think that was Hey, uh, I want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you, guys, every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. You are, uh, I want you to know you don't just serve a position you serve a purpose here. It is a purpose for everything we do. And I just want to say, take a moment to thank you. Those that are not can we just say thank you? Come on. Now, before you sit down, look at that person that's not standing and say, What's up, dude? <laughs> Crap, man, do it all myself. Hey, uh, We are going to be, uh, we were going to do it next Sunday, but then someone told me in between services that that is actually Triple H's big uh, outing next Sunday, right? And so we're going to put it because we've got a lot of leadership that actually works with His Hands Outreach, and so we don't want to interfere with that. So I will be letting you know, but we're going to be having a dream team huddle in the next three or four weeks. It's going to be on a Sunday right after the 11 a.m. service. And we'll let you know. And I'm going to be sharing the vision for the rest of the year and going into 2020. So with that being said, are y'all ready for the final message in our hostage series? A little more excited. Uh, let's start the message. Let's just start it off hot. Let's I'm a wrestling fan. Can anybody to come on, it's okay. You're in the South, you can admit it. My wife, hold on a minute. They didn't understand me. I'm a wrestling fan. <laughs> wrestling fan. So but I, I've always loved wrestling. I grew up with it. My Papa Fuller, we'd watch it on Saturdays. And don't you dare tell Papa Fuller that it was not real. <laughs> but I grew up in the good days of wrestling. I'm talking about guys like Jimmy, Superfly, Snooka. Come on, anybody remember. Jake the Snake Roberts, the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. Who remembers the other one? Woo! Ric Flair. Uh, we've got Ole Anderson. And, I mean, I grew up in the age. you remember, when they would actually take razor blades. And actually cut just slightly their foreheads so that when they got hit, it would open. I mean, when the blood just flowed. The good days of wrestling. If you smell what the, you know, the good days. If you're not a wrestling fan, you don't get that. I said, I should come out here and do a stone cold set with cans. And just bust them open and just. Because Pastor Kelly said so. Uh, (laughs) do my rise. But I've thought about it. If I was a wrestler, I know what my stage name would be, my wrestling name, Kelly, the Pastor of Disaster (laughs) Goins. I've got got my come out music. Bob, help help me out, buddy. Hold on a minute.
1: And now, the main event. He stands six foot eight inches tall. He maintains a strict diet of steel-cut oats and deer jerky. His signature move is the baptizer. Impossible to counter. Yo, WBC and Kelly, the pastor of disaster.
0: Go away! too much. We're going to have to pray over that. I'm not really 6'8". I am the reigning WBC champion, though, because we just announced it. Uh, But honestly, it's okay to have a little fun. But the thing is, I am a wrestler. And the truth is, so are you. So are you. We all wrestle with something. That It may not be in front of the thousands and thousands watching. It may not be on uh, where people's watching on Monday, Monday Night Raw or Friday Night Smackdown or AEW or NXT. Yes, I know them all. Uh, it may not be on any of those, but you wrestle daily. And your wrestling match takes place right here, right there in your mind. Some of you, it's different. It, it, you may wrestle with anxiety. Some of you wrestle with anger, with addiction, with your marriage. You wrestle with your sanity, with time management. Come on now. And, and I could go on, and but on. my point is, we all wrestle with something, but one of the biggest things that we may not even know we wrestle with is rejection. Rejection. And, and before you say, well, now, come on. I, I, I've never dealt with rejection. Well, let, let's lay, let, lay this out here. If you've ever been broken up with, by someone, rejection. If you've ever asked somebody out on a date and they told you no, if you've uh, ever uh, asked that person to the prom and they said no, we've dealt with re- rejection. If you've ever applied for a job and haven't gotten it, rejection. You've ever uh, been up for a promotion but somebody else got it, you felt the sting of Rejection. If you've ever walked through divorce, infidelity, you felt the sting of rejection. If you ever ever tried out for a team, didn't make it, or was that person that always got picked last, you felt rejection. It's amazing how long, even things that seem like they're insignificant, how long those moments of rejection can stay with you. I, I remember, I, I was going out to Kelly, what were some of the times you were rejected? That it, and it didn't take me long to come up with some. I, I remember being on vacation with my Uncle John and his family and his kids, my c- cousin Mike. And, and uh, they were all about five, six years older than me. And I, do, I remember that they meet up, met up with some other uh, teenagers. They all went out doing something and left me behind. I remember I was like devastated. Nobody likes me. Why can't I go? Rejection. Uh, I remember trying out for Ray Central Middle School football team. And a buddy of mine didn't even want to try it. I just talked him into going, hey, let's go try it. I want to play football. And he made the team, and I didn't. So I came home, and I told my dad, I said, I, or dad said, did you make the team? I said, no. He said, well, come on. You want to play football? I said, yeah. We loaded up. We went down to Dayton City School. Met with a football coach said, my son wants to play football. You got an opening. He said, yes. So I became a part of the feared. Dayton City, sweat bees. <laughs> Doesn't it just invoke fear? <laughs> sweat bees. And one of my greatest memories was walking out of the field and starting with them that year and beating our rivals, R-C-E-S. I loved that. But I remember feeling the rejection. I remember being broken up with by my very real first girlfriend. Come on, anybody remember that? You remember where you were, that first love, that first I'll never, I don't know how I'll ever do life without you. (laughs) They break up with you, and you're like on the phone, Hey, boo, (laughs) what up? (laughs) Or no, no. You up? <laughs> Come on, little fishing. Uh, I, me- I remember going through my divorce and feeling the rejection. I, I remember after I went through my divorce moving about 2,500 miles away to California. And the reason I-, I, just- I was running, basically what I was doing, because uh, before my divorce, I-, I mean, I grew up in church. I, I, I was an evangelist. I was doing some evangelizing, doing some singing, teaching, going around. And then when I walked through my divorce, I knew that divorce back then for a Church of God minister was death. You might, have, you might as well have, have been a mass murderer. You know, in fact, in the Church of God, we, we were the, the only reason. No, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. I started to go out there on legs. I wrote myself back. My wife would be proud of me. Uh, but I did, and so I, I, I went out there, and, and I remember when I moved back from there, when I moved back after about two years of living out there, had uh, long jet black hair uh, about halfway down my back, had four or five earrings in each ear, and uh, my brother Stephen was going to play, uh, do team talent, playing the drums, asked me to go with him, uh, and there's a church event, to, to play keys for him. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll go with you. My mom's like, Kelly, you might not want to wear your earrings and stuff down there. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I do. And so, because I knew, I knew my place then was the failure, rejected. And if I was going to be rejected, at least I was going to let them know my presence was known. And I remember walking through the halls of that church and hearing people say, isn't that Kelly going So. Didn't he used to be evangelist? Didn't he? You, you know, isn't that Pastor Ken's son? And I remember feeling the rejection. And the thing is, I say this because we're all wrestling with it in some capacity. Did, did, did you know there's a wrestler in the Bible? In case you're wondering why we're talking about all this wrestling, uh, there's one I want to look at in particular. Guy by the name of Jacob. He he didn't have a really. Great wrestling name. His name was Jacob the Deceiver. Um, and Jacob comes from a long line of dysfunction. His family, it would be safe to say, put the fun in dysfunction. I mean, they were highly dysfunctional. Here's The thing about Jacob, from the, from, from the early age, from when he could even comprehend what was going on, it was a well-known fact that he was not the favorite child of his dad. He, he, he was not, he was face rejection. Now, listen, I know, we'll say, listen, I don't have any favorite children. But we all know you do. You just don't want to say it. Come on now. Look, I'm, I'm not, I don't. You are lot. Anyway, let's go on. But it was fair. Jacob's dad didn't even hide it. He's not my favorite. I favor his brother Esau. I like Esau more than him. So, so he grew up feeling the rejection of a dad. And then on top of that, he felt the rejection from his brothers. Can, can we be honest about this? All rejection is not created equal. There are some people's opinions I value more than others. There's some, some people that I value what they think about me more than I do others. So it's not, and so for a dad to reject you, a brother, that's gotta mess with you. I mean that's that's got to be that's just got to be some weight, and I mean being a son myself, my dad's approval of me was very important. Even to this day, my my brother's approval of me is important. I want them to be proud of me, but it can mess with you. In fact, that kind of rejection will even cause strain on other relationships because you're always thinking. If this person rejected me, it's just a matter of time before this person rejects me. And eventually, rejection will cause you to even stop trying. I'm telling you, it is a powerful thing. But but here's the thing, Jacob, because of some, his history with his brothers now, let, let me just go ahead and say, Jacob was not a saint when he was growing up. He did some stuff that you, you would dislike him. But Jacob, because of things, he goes on the run. He leaves his home. He gets married. Uh, he has kids. Uh, and, and But the thing is, because of his relationship, his strained relationship with his dad, being rejected by his dad and his brothers and his family, guess what? When he gets married, no family's there for his marriage. When his kids are born, grandparents aren't there to celebrate had their grandkids coming in. Uh, when, when he has all this success, nobody there to say, Man, great job, son. You did all. I'm so proud of you. I always knew you would do great. He didn't have any of that. And here he is, a grown man, married with kids, successful, yet still dealing with the aftermath of rejection. So Jacob decides, I'm tired of running. I'm going to go try to make up with my brother. I'm tired of being on the run, uh, I'm tired of being uh, separated my family. So he sets up a meeting with his brother, and he knows this meeting could go sideways real quick. So what he does, his family that is get, and his people he's, he, he's uh, traveling with, he splits them up into two different groups. And he sends one group in this direction, one group in another direction because his thoughts are, well, if Esau is coming to kill us, if he gets this group, at least one part of my family will survive. And so when they split up, then he got Jacob. The night before he goes out to meet his brother, Jacob sends his two wives, servants and 11 sons across the river and he stays behind. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 24. says this, So Jacob was left what? Alone. Jacob was left alone, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Let that sink in. Jacob was left alone and wrestled. Jacob was left alone and he wrestled. Here's what, can I tell you there's a difference? Between you isolating yourself and God isolating you? Big difference. See, when we isolate ourselves, we we put ourselves away from any. I mean, we don't want anybody else around. When God isolates us, he's doing it for a purpose. And if you're taking notes of this, sometimes God will use isolation for your transformation. Sometimes God will use you being alone. You thinking, I'm the only one. Where's everybody else? So he can speak directly into you without interruption. Sometimes God will use isolation to get you to the point where you're like, God, you're my only hope. I I got nobody else to look to but you. And there are times when he'll, he'll use isolation to produce that. Look at this. So Jacob was left alone. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Who did David wrestle with? Come on. It's right up there. Who did he wrestle with? A man. A man. Who did he wrestle with? Come on. I'm going to get you. I got to get you. Who did he wrestle with? No, he didn't. No, I'm joking. Yes. He wrestled with a man. He wrestled with a man until daybreak. Let's continue. Look at this. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me or unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because, what what, watch this, you have wrestled with who?" I thought he was wrestling with a man. I mean, isn't that what it said four verses ago? Jacob wrestled with a man until the breaking of dawn. But now it says, because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have overcome. Here we are in verse 24. It says he's wrestling with a man. Four verses later, it says he's wrestling with God. In verse 24, he thinks he's wrestling with one thing. But verse 28, he finds out he's been wrestling with something other than what he thought he was wrestling with. Here's my point about this. God doesn't always show up looking like God. What you thought right here in verse 24 is pain. If you can hold on, if you can keep going... Over here in verse 28, you're going to find out it was purpose. What you thought was a setback over here set to, to destroy you, if you will hang on, you're going to find out God was just setting you up. Come on. If you will just hang on, because God doesn't always show up looking like God. God doesn't always show up looking like we think he should show up. Come on, are you with me? I mean, be honest. We can all think of a time where one season of our life, we thought, what is this? What's happening? But years later, we look back and we say, wow. Come on. How many had that one person you were dating? You thought you could not live without them? God, I need need this man. I need this woman, blah, blah. And then years later, you're like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You knew what you were doing. But it gets more serious than that because there's times in our life when we're going through pain. We're going through something. But if we can just hang on, what we thought was man, what we thought was the natural, we're going to find out, no, God was in it all alone. I'm telling you, God doesn't always show up looking like God. I said, because we're, we're big about, man, God opened this door. Oh, let's praise God for the open doors. I believe God opens doors. And I believe we should praise Him when God opens doors. But the same God we're praising when He opens doors, we ought to also praise Him when He's closing doors. Come on. Because sometimes God will close a door to keep you from doing something so stupid that will screw up your life forever. I'm telling you, God doesn't always show up looking like God. Let's look at verse 28 again. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel because you have wrestled with God and with, what? Humans. 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 And have overcome. Anybody in this story remember anybody else being there besides Jacob and God? So what does it mean you've wrestled with God and with humans and overcome? Who's the other person that he's been wrestling with? Himself. Himself. I think Jacob's biggest battle was God, this is what I've been told. I'm a deceiver. I am no good. This is what I've been told I'd be. And you're telling me that I can be something different. You see, I believe God, the wrestling match, God was trying to pull Jacob into his future. future but, but that's, that, you know, we've all got that self-destructive part of us that keeps pulling us back to the old us, to the old ways. And I believe his match was with himself. And God is trying to pull, pull us into his plan, us into a new future. He's trying to pull us. And then our addiction keeps pulling us back. Our worry, our anxiety, our anger. Come on, our hurts, our failures, our fears, our doubts, our failures. They keep pulling us. And we wrestle. We wrestle. And all those things, all they're trying to do is keep you from stepping into who God created you to be. I'm telling you, look how determined Jacob is, though. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Remember, I, I mean, Jacob is wrestling. He's wrestling hard. So for the man knocked uh, Jacob's hip out of socket, but he still refused to let go. He still refused to tap out. But Jacob said, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. In other words, I'm not letting you go until something changes. The Bible says that they wrestled in the words of Lionel Richie. All night long they wrestled. I mean, it was. he's like, I'm not going to let, no, 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 I'm not letting you go until I'm no longer the man that everybody told me I was, but I am who you say I am. He wrestled. I believe there's a great lesson to be learned here. But if I'm honest, I know what it's like to get tired of my faith walk. I know what it's like to get weary in my faith. Come on, anybody, anybody relate? My long, I, I wonder, I, I know what it's like to wonder if things will ever be any different than they are in the present moment. I, I know what it's like to wonder, God, will things ever change? But I'm telling you, if we will get the attitude of Jacob, I'm not letting go. unless you, bless me. Unless something changes, I'm not letting go. You know what I find interesting about what Jacob said? He said, I'm not letting go until you bless me or unless you bless me. What's interesting, if you know Jacob's life, Jacob had a pretty good life. He was successful. He had acquired lots of wealth. He, had, he was married. He had, he had uh, kids. Greg, he, I, I mean, he was doing well for himself. But he says, I won't let go unless you bless me. So what was Jacob wanting? Here's what I think. Jacob's request wasn't to get something. Jacob's request was to become someone. Someone. Jacob had, Jacob had accomplished enough, had enough success to know this. There is never enough. There's never enough. See, see there, there was still a wound inside Jacob that no matter how successful he was, no matter how much he acquired, no matter what he did, nothing could heal that wound. The, the wounds in him shaped him into a version of himself that he did not like. Don't raise your hand, but anybody know that feeling? Where the wounds of your past, hurt from your past, things from your past, when you look in the mirror, you don't like what that has shaped you into. I know what it's like. Jacob made a decision that night. I'm not about to let my past determine my future. I'm not going about to allow what's been done to me to determine who I can become. I'm telling you, there are some things we've got to understand if we're going to experience the breakthrough that Jacob experienced. There's some things we need to know about rejection. The first one is this: rejection can be a result of someone's vision, not your value. It's usually a vision problem in somebody else, not your value. A lot of times, here's what I'm saying, a lot of times the issue is not you and I. A lot of times the issue is what other people see, how they see it. Here's what you need to know. Here's what is a fact and what is true. You were created in the image of God. You were created by God. He placed such a high value on you. He thought you were so valuable that he sent what was most valuable to him to this earth to die for you and I. Never question your value. It's people's vision. It's not the, that, that's where rejection comes. Some of you have been made to feel less than, made to feel worthless, and it's not because of your value. It's because you've been allowing the wrong people to tell you your value. Come on. Well, I'm telling you, when we give people the power to assign value to us, we give over to them the power and authority that can only, it should only come from God. People should never assign their value. Uh, I'm telling you, the, it should not be on them. The one, we we had this discussion. Well, no, I'm not getting into that because I want to make sure i stay be uh, conscious of your time. The one who created us is the only one that can tell us what we're worth. The creator. i tell you, don't let anybody's poor vision determine your value number two. Rejection can be a result of others' issues, not yours. Re- a result of their insecurities, their problems, not yours. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 7. He's talking to a group of people who, have, have a, who find it very easy to point out everybody else's faults, but they can't see their own. Anybody know anybody like that? I know you don't. That was the 9 a.m. crowd. Um, but here, here's what he said, Matthew 7, 11. He says, why do you look at the speck, 7, 3, I'm sorry, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And look what Jesus says, you hypocrite. Hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye first. Then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. There are times when the people that are pointing the finger at you, the people that are telling you all the bad things about you, the people that are reject you, it's not as a result of your speck, but their plank. The plank they're walking around with, which results also in Vision. Vision. I'm telling you, sometimes the the insecurities, the problems, the attitude—it's not your issue. It's the plank in their eye. And third, I know this to be fact: God can use uh, rejection for your redirection. Um, I grew up in a very musical family. Grew up playing uh, in church my whole life. I always knew that my life would involve ministry and and even the days before we really knew what a worship pastor was uh, we just had a a choir director and one person that seemed to always get all the solos anybody remember those days? (laughs) Sister Margaret Uh, and you know and after my short stint from running from California uh, my mom literally prayed me back home rededicated my life back to God and 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 God began to do a work, and and I, I went through a hard time with my divorce, but God was redirecting me even then. But we came here after Denise and I got married and had worked at another church for about 12 years. Uh, we came here to work for my dad as worship pastor and, and uh, youth pastors. And we were here about five years and got a call from a, a church in Louisville, Kentucky, a large church, and uh, that wanted me to come out there and take over their music program and reshape it uh, into something more uh, contemporary style. And so Denise and I, we prayed about it because we loved being here with my dad. My mom uh, loved the church, loved the people, and we prayed about it and talked to my dad about it, and we decided, okay, God, you're leading us to Louisville, Kentucky. We packed up headed up there to to Louisville, Kentucky, began to do what they asked us to do and change the styles of music and change the different atmosphere of worship. And uh, I don't think they knew what they were asking for. (laughs) Uh, They couldn't handle the fallout. And so about two years in, I never get the pastor of that church asked to see Denise and myself and walked into that meeting with him and the associate pastor sitting there. And he began to tell me that uh, I'm not really worship pastor material. i had done this my whole life. I knew what God had called me to do and gifted me with. And uh, that I might want to consider uh, stepping down as a worship pastor there and taking on the, the uh, job of single pastor, singles pastor there. And uh, I just looked at him and said, you know what? I know who I am. I know what God's called me to do. I said, and what you're asking me of me does not fit with who I know God has called me to be. And I mean, I, but I, I, I was trying to remain calm, but God had still not worked out all my anger issues at the time. Um, so, but everything within me just, uh, this is me being honest. Is that All right. I wanted to climb across that desk and just punch him right in the face. But then I thought, wow, well, then Denise, i have to beg you out of jail before we go back home to Tennessee. And if I don't have a job, T to four dads, <laughs> so us And, uh, but I, I, I said that, I said, listen, what you're trying to do to me is what Saul tried to do to David when David went to fight the Goliath. And Saul said, here, take my armor, put this on you. David said, I, that's not meant for me. I've got to use what God has given me. And he still couldn't see where I was coming from, so Denise and I said, okay, it's probably best for us to leave. I left there feeling rejected, like, God, I failed. I failed. We, we, we picked up, moved our family to Louisville, Kentucky. And then at that time, didn't even have a good football team. Now, <laughs> granted, neither do we right now, but so... Although we did win yesterday. And uh, left there feeling rejected and failure, not knowing. Did he say, what are we going to do? I said, I had no clue. Let's go back. We'll live with mom and dad for a little while until we can figure out what we're going to do. Came home. I did some work for my brother, Stephen, uh, while I began to send out resumes. Left and around. I mean, just send them out. Um, got You know, there's a couple churches down in the Florida area. Uh, that reached out to us. And there was one that Denise was praying, please, God, don't let this be it. I was praying, please, God, let this be it. It was in Colorado near a ski resort. Uh, and and that, that was looking at us. And we went for a couple of uh, interviews and actually led worship at a couple of churches in Florida. And on our way back from Florida, we, we, nothing ever really hit. We're like, God, what's going on? I don't know what you're doing in my life right now. And, I, and I've got a family to take care of, and this is all I know. Uh, I sure don't want to go back and work for my brother Stephen. Anyway, let's go on. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so on our way back, I, I received a call from someone I'd known years ago. Found out we were looking uh, for a worship pastor position. And he said, Kelly, won't you, won't you swing by here? We've got rehearsal on Wednesday nights. You guys are coming back through, swing by here. Denise and I, we didn't even have to rehearse. When we walked through the doors, it's like, oh, we're home. We proceeded to work with their team and their band for, uh, for worship and went out to eat with them. And Denise and I knew, we don't even, we, we know, but we didn't say nothing, playing hard to get, you know. And uh, the pastor called us the next day and said, guys, we, we want you guys. We feel like this is where God is calling you. Little did we know the rejection we received in Louisville was pulling us to a church we would be at for over five years where we would watch a pastor and his wife teach men and knees, not knowing we would ever be pastors, how to pastor Little did we know that God was redirecting us, bringing us closer to home because not long after we moved to the Atlanta area, both my dad and her dad, they passed away within three months of each other. Little did we know that God used that rejection to redirect their paths so that now seven years in, we we have been pastors here at Watts Bar Church. I'm telling you, God can and will use your rejection for redirection. You just got to hold on. You just got to stay with it. God, Contrary to our belief sometimes, God does know what he's doing. God does know what he's doing. Here's the truth. You guys don't come on out. Rejection in this life is really unavoidable. The only way to really not face rejection is to build up such a guard where you don't let anybody in. Nobody close to you. And I think that's what's happened to some of us. It's unavoidable. Jesus himself was rejected. You you realize that, right? If Jesus, the perfect son of God, faced rejection, what makes us think we're going to avoid it? I I mean, you look at Long before Jesus ever even came on the scene, this is what was said about him in Isaiah. Says Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind. They're prophesying what's gonna happen to him. And then Jesus says this about himself. He's talking to some of his followers, and in Mark 8:31, he says. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. Then Peter said this about him after the death, after the resurrection. He says, you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people. He was chosen by God for great honor. Kelly Kelly, you but. You don't know the rejection I've been through. Jesus can't relate to my rejection. I I, I would argue this, that he knows a lot about rejection. The person here that's been told you you weren't planned, Mom and dad really didn't want you. Dad didn't really want you. You weren't planned. I believe Jesus knew that. Joseph, when he found out his bride-to-be, Mary's pregnant, I don't want this. It's not what I want. He tries to send Mary away. It took an angel literally visiting Joseph to say, No, stay in place where you're at. I think Jesus knows a lot about that type of rejection. What about family? John 4 records, it says this, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. In fact, Mark 3 talks about a time when his brothers, his family, heard about Jesus, what he was doing, and it says, I'm telling you, it says, they came looking for him to take him because they thought he had lost his mind. Luke 4 records that his hometown rejected. him. What about rejected by a parent later in life? I think Jesus can relate to that too. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? And the Bible says that because of our sin that was thrown upon his son Jesus, that God turned away from him, rejected him. And Jesus made this statement, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the one and only time in the Bible that Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father. Only time. Up to that point, my Father that is in heaven, my Father this. But when his Father turns away, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why so many references to Jesus being rejected? Why was it prophesied long before he ever came up? Why did Jesus even talk about it? Why was it talked about afterwards? Because I believe God knew that everyone in this room would know what it's like to feel the herd and bear the wounds of rejection. That this world, no one gets through this life without bearing scars. No one. One of the definitions of rejection, get this, is throw backwards. And that's what rejection will do to you if it's not dealt with correctly. It'll throw you backwards. You were here, but you rejected. Now it throws you backwards. And you don't even know who you are anymore. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Soul wounds. Soul wounds. Soul wounds that just get in your soul. Grip your soul. And that's exactly what rejection can produce. What's the difference between soul wounds and regular is this. The damage that it's caused, you can't see it with your physical eyes. It's inside. The bleeding that's taking place, the intern, it's all internal. It's bleeding. And, and if it's not dressed and medicated, guess what happens? Infection sets in. Look what the, uh, Jeremiah, prophet he, he said this about the, the children of Israel. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. In other words, they're trying to put a Band-Aid on something that requires surgery. They're trying to put a Band-Aid that needs something more serious than that and that is what happened we have put band-aids we have put little things on things that were, we didn't realize the seriousness of it and all the time we have been bleeding eternally internally and I learned this from my, when my mom this last stand, when she had, uh, had to have open heart surgery wasn't the open heart surgery that she came through that great got out for cardiac rehab Found out about three days later, infection had set in. The infection was worse on her body than the actual surgery was. And here's the thing. See, see, rejection produces infection. And infection, see, infection doesn't necessarily take on, uh, make may cause you to have pain. You know what I mean? doesn't hurt. With my mom, it, the pain may have been a little bit. But what happened to her, it caused her personality to change. We would go in there and we'd be like, that's not the mom I, I know. She would say stuff just that we're like. And bees her when we were like. And it was the infection. And here's what I'm saying. Is it possible? That someone's constant need for approval is just an infection that's never been healed. Is it possible that someone's addiction, if they have found themselves, is really just an infection that's never healed up? Is it possible that someone's anger issues, they're not just angry, it's because an infection has set up. Is it possible that someone's eating disorder is an infection? Is it possible that that person at work, that person, they're not just a jerk. An infection has set up, and they've never healed from it. Come on. Is it possible that that person that won't ever allow anybody close to them, they they, they keep everybody at arm's length because they don't... It's infection. It's infection. Is it it possible that the person I've become or you've become that doesn't line up with who God has called us and created us and God intended us to be, could it be that it's because we've allowed infection, a soul wound to set up in us and never dealt with it because we didn't treat it as serious? We put a Band-Aid on it. Here's what I know. There are real hurts in this room today. There are real wounds in this state. There's real pain. I realize this. Even as a pastor, I only know a small portion of the hurts that are in this room. But here's what I need you to know. What happened to you does not determine what can happen for you. Whatever it was that happened to you, your past does not have to be your future. And here's what I'd like to propose to you today. I think God would like to introduce you to the you you've never met. God would like to introduce you to the you that you didn't even know existed. Because I'll tell you this, you're stronger than you think you are. You've got a bigger heart than what you've let on. You can forgive. You can love again. God wants to introduce you to the you you've never met before. Stand with me across this room.